1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 to 20. Um, it's titled Sexual Immorality. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never! Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. But let's pray before we come to consider God's word in more detail. Father, we thank you for uh, speaking to us through your word. We do pray now, Lord God, that you would uh, free our minds from those things that would distract us. Help us to focus clearly on what you're saying to us. Uh, grant that we would have open minds and uh, teachable and flexible hearts, that uh, we would be people who tremble at your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And again, there's an outline of the talk on your, in your bulletins to help you to follow uh, what we're uh, saying today and to take notes as well. Uh, do you read the newspapers very much? I tend to be a bit of a newspaper junkie, and I guess I'd have to say that newspapers do not always give us a particularly well-balanced uh, picture of our world. Uh, and the reason for that, of course, is because they focus on the sensational, you know, the uh, outrageous stories and the stories that are newsworthy. But uh, nevertheless, they do help us to uh, some extent to understand the world that we live in. Uh, take, for example, the uh, subject of sex. And uh, if you looked at the newspaper, say, the Sydney Morning Herald, just over the last, I think, three or four days, uh, the top stories in the Herald, uh, were, a lot of them were about sex. Um, I'll, here's a sample. There was a story about a school teacher who is in court because he was showing uh, pornography to his students in a uh, private boarding school. Uh, he wasn't sacked for having done so either. Uh, there was a um, story about a a well-known TV host 
who was in court because he was caught with a whole stack of child pornography images on his computer. Um, there was a story about the politician who a couple of weeks ago was caught committing uh, homosexual adultery uh, in a men's homosexual club kind of thing. Well, he's, been he's now been made the Speaker of the House. Uh, there was a story about a father selling his young daughter into prostitution to his mates um, because he said the money was good. Right? That's just a s small sample of the top stories. Uh, then there was an interesting story about an Australian airline. Did you read that? I'm not going to name the airline. You can put two and two together yourself. Um, where 25 employees of the airline have been sacked. Uh, and the reason they've been sacked is because they were all caught uh, watching pornography uh, on their computers at work. Uh, now, they're challenging their, their dismissal in the, um, whatever it is, the tribunal, uh, under the unfair dismissal laws. Uh, the workers claim that whilst watching pornography at work is officially against the company rules, that, uh, quote, the behaviour has been a custom and practice of the workplace for a number of years and has been condoned, not condemned, but condoned by management throughout this time, uh, end of quote. Uh, one of the sacked workers said that sex had, al had always been part of the airline, uh, from the, the marketing strategies to staff recruitment methods, whatever that means, and that this had just extended through into the culture of the workplace, uh, that uh, they were just doing what the airline stands for. Right? Now, in one sense, that, that's kind of like a bit of a picture of the world that we live in. Sex is all around us. Uh, we're saturated by it. Uh, you know, they use sex to sell things, don't they? Anything from apples through to earth-moving equipment and services. Right? Uh, it's, uh, we are bombarded uh, daily with images that are designed to uh, arouse our senses uh, on the streets, uh, on TV, in magazines, on the internet. And it's not just the images, is it? It's the ideas. Um, our Western society's thinking about sex has changed dramatically in a very short period of time. If you've grown up in it, you don't realise how big the changes have been and how quickly it's all seemed to happen. Um, older members of our congregation will know exactly what I'm talking about because they have lived through a period of sweeping change in this area. Uh, think about... Um, well, 50 years ago, sex before marriage was not approved. It was not approved. Uh, the wedding night, that was supposed to be the commencement of the sexual relationship. Is it like that now? No way. No way. Uh, adultery was legal grounds to file for divorce in a court of law. That is how seriously our society upheld the institution of marriage and faithfulness and fidelity within marriage. 
um sex was only to be a physical union between a man and a woman who were actually committed to each other uh, in the in marriage now of course what society kind of formally and outwardly approved of and what went on behind closed doors you know it was sometimes a very very different kind of thing but uh, what it does tell us is that by and large society was governed by a view of sex and of marriage which is just almost foreign to people today. Those changes uh, did not all happen at once. I commend to you the book uh, Sex that I've promoted earlier on because it outlines how the changes uh, in our thinking, it was like it, it all blew up about 50 years ago but it's the fuse was lit 150 years ago and uh, there's been underlying things going on in our Western society uh, which have been happening for a long period of time since the 19th century. Um, but come the 1960s, the sociology of the world was just right for the sexual revolution because uh, there was an unprecedented number of adolescents. Uh, the world hadn't seen as many adolescents as we experienced in the 1960s, where all of the, uh, the post-war babies became teenagers. Uh, and add to that the medical developments, like the development of the pill. Uh, the, the pill you know, was touted as, uh, as presenting the opportunity for sex without consequences, as if pregnancy is the only consequence of, se of sex. Right? Uh, the sexual revolution had arrived and it made promises. It promised freedom and liberation from the shackles of sex only within marriage. Uh, it promised freedom, but what it delivered is a society which now struggles with the consequences of all of that. A society which itself uh, is now shocked as taboos, which they would have thought never would have been crossed, are being crossed. Um, a society where you've got you know, examples like of a company which prides itself on its sexual ethos, but is now appalled uh, to discover that its employees are actually putting into practice the kind of thing that the company has been has built its reputation on. Our society's got it wrong, badly wrong, on sex, and that impacts us. Because we've grown up in this society and we've been shaped by its values, and we daily face its 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 temptations. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 to 20 is all about sex. The Bible has got a lot to say about sex. Right? And over the next two or three weeks, we're going to explore this passage in more detail and I'm going to be drawing together other threads from the rest of the Bible as well to build up a picture of what the Bible actually teaches about our human sexuality. And the reason I want to slow down and really focus on this because it's simply one of the most important issues which is facing us as Christians today. It was, by the way, also a very hot topic for the Christians in the first century 
who lived in Corinth. Uh, in some ways, Corinth was a little bit like our society. Um, cosmopolitan seaport city, lots of people lived there who were away from the social constraints of their home because it was, uh, they had merchants, they had sailors and so on. It was a, it was a cultural and a trading hub, hub for the Mediterranean world. And as a Greek city, it was also shaped by the thinking of Greek culture and Greek society. Now, we get a bit of a snapshot of Greek thinking uh, if we have a look at Acts chapter 17. So before we come to 1 Corinthians 6, can I just get you to open up your Bibles at Acts chapter 17? It was the Apostle Paul who first preached the gospel in Corinth on one of his missionary journeys. Uh, but prior to getting to Corinth, Paul visited the city of Athens. And uh, in Acts chapter 17, we're told what happened in, in, in Athens. Paul walked around the city and he saw that it was full of idols and he was just kind of dismayed and he wanted to preach the gospel to people, tell people about the true God, Jesus. And uh, he does so in verse 16 of chapter 17 of Acts. If you've got that, it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols and in verse 17, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace by day with those who happened to be there. And so then in verse 18, as Paul's preaching the gospel and reasoning with people, we're told that a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Now, I... What do you reckon would happen if you went down to the town green and you set up your soapbox and you started preaching the gospel? Well, you may be moved along by the police, but I highly doubt that a couple of philosophers are going to happen to walk on by and then start having a philosophical debate and an argument with you. That wouldn't happen, would it? Not in Port not in Australia, right? You're not but Greek culture was very different. Uh, take a look at verse 21. In verse 21, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. That was the Greeks. Philosophy, ideas, listening to them, talking about ideas and big picture stuff of the world and all of that sort of stuff. And some of these philosophy and ideas were deeply ingrained uh, in the thinking and the behaviour of Greek people in respect to sex. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, first of all, the Epicurean philosophers um, whom Paul met. Uh, the Epicurean philosophers, they said that this life is all that there is. There is no afterlife. Uh, this is it. And so uh, what you need to do is to maximise your pleasure in this life. Now, originally, that was intended to mean that you would maximise your pleasure in terms of doing good, um, because doing good is pleasurable. But what it came to mean is that uh, 
uh, is living, living your life in luxury, living it up, um, enjoying yourself, satisfying your pleasures, uh, eating well and uh, uh, satisfying your physical desires in terms of your sexuality. Now, secondly, and largely because of Plato, uh, the Greeks also believed that the material world was of very little value and that all that really mattered was the spiritual world. That meant that they believed that the physical body was of very little or no value and that what really mattered was the human soul. And so what you did with your body didn't really matter. You could do whatever you liked with your body because it's only the soul that actually matters. And you can see how that led to immorality, just doing whatever you want to do with your body. Now, Western culture shapes the way that we think about sex. And in the same way, the Corinthian Christians were shaped by what Greek culture said about sex. So if you now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, in verses 15 and 16, we can see what part of what one of the uh, perhaps the immediate issue in the church was, because it seems as if there's someone in the church, at least at least someone, who appears not to have a problem with the idea of paying someone for sex. Now, verse 16. Have a look at it. Um, Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute? is one with her in body. Can you imagine having to say that in church? Don't you know that prostitution's wrong? Right? That was a situation there. And that was you know, largely because of the Greek culture. Um, now, uh, philosophers these days, uh, they write graffiti, don't they? And they write slogans that go on car stickers. I wonder if you remember a bumper, bumper bar sticker um, that used to say, if it feels good, what did it say? If it feels good, everyone knows it, don't you? The philosophy worked. <laughs> if it feels good, do it. Uh, Rex was saying to me the other day that he grew up with a philosophy that said, uh, not that he practiced it, but the philosophy said, uh, uh, do it now, son, you're dead for a long time. <laughs> right? And you see, you know, we've got these slogans, don't we, that kind of capture worldly thinking about life and how we're going to live our lives. Well, the Corinthians had a couple of slogans of their own, which sort of summed up their thinking. And I want to focus on these slogans today. Um, the first of those of the two slogans is found in verse 12, where Paul, in inverted commas, says, everything is permissible for me. How about that? That's one of their slogans. Everything is permissible for me. Where do you reckon they got that from? Well, partly from Greek culture. Um, the Epicureans, you know, live your life to the maximum. Uh, the uh, uh, Platonic philosophy, it's, uh, your body doesn't really matter. You know, you can do whatever you want with your body. But here's the strange twist. They also got that slogan from Paul, from Paul himself. 
You see, Paul, as he was teaching and working through the implications of the gospel for them, uh, taught that in respect to the Old Testament laws about food, that everything is now permissible. Right? We know that's the case, that the Old Testament food laws no longer apply uh, in terms of uh, because of what Jesus has done. Now, Paul also taught that uh, sometimes, although you're free to eat whatever food you want to eat, that there's going to be situations where you're going to choose not to exercise that freedom. So, for example, if you're sitting down at a meal with a bunch of Jews and you're trying to reach them for Christ, you might choose to not utilise your freedom to eat sweet and sour pork, right? So that you don't cause offence. Or if there's a brother in Christ who you know, thinks that it's wrong to eat certain foods, well, you're not going to sit down with him and start eating those foods and tempt him to do what he thinks is wrong, right? So uh, that, that's kind of the background there. And it seems that they've taken something which Paul has said and they've gone and then applied it to sex. Paul has said you've got freedom with respect to your food and they've just said, well, it's the same as sex. So they've taken Christian teaching and they've fused it with Greek cultural teaching. So Paul says in chapter in verse 12a, he says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. And so I take it that there he's actually uh, reinforcing that this is something which he had actually said in respect to food laws. And then in verse, uh, 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 the second part of verse 12, he repeats that slogan. He says, everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Now, let me ask you this question. Who is the person who is truly free? Um, is, it, is, it the, is, is it the person who thinks that they are free to live their lives however they want? Is that true freedom? Uh, is it the person who moves from one sexual relationship to another sexual relationship to another sexual relationship? Is that person truly free? Is it the person who, although married, feels that they are free uh, to flirt, uh, to seduce, to have the occasional affair, the fling? Is that person free? Uh, is it the person who uh, feeds their mind and indulges in pornography? I got into a discussion recently with someone who was saying that... Uh, uh, illegal pornography is bad, legal pornography is good. Um, I disputed him on that. Is that person free? Are they, you know, they, they, is it the person who's kind of thrown off the shackles that's so constrained the expression of how they use their bodies? Is that person free? Or are they enslaved? They're enslaved trapped. Paul says they are mastered and Paul says I will not be mastered by anything. 
In fact, the person who enjoys true freedom, the person who uh, experiences the freedom, the kind of freedom which, uh, which leads to, to lasting joy and very deep pleasure and satisfaction, do you know who that person is? That's the person who says, I relinquish my freedom. I give up my freedom to run my life my way and I will now listen to and subject myself to the mastery of the one who actually created sex and created me, created human relationships. True freedom is found in being a slave to Christ. Now, the second Corinthian slogan is found in verse 13. Have a look at it again. In verse 13, he says, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. Anyone here watch MasterChef? Come on, everyone can put their hand up. <laughs> it's uh, been known to be on the TV at our place from time... I reckon it's really helping Australian cuisine, don't you? <laughs> the old uh, meat and three veg, you know, it's a bit different now. Um, but, if, you know, if you watch too much of that show, you're going to end up thinking that life is about food and food is, about, is what life is all about. I reckon the Epicurean philosophers, they would have really loved MasterChef. You know, Epicureans were known for their food. But can you see what the Corinthian Christians are saying? Let me try to summarise it for you. This is what they're saying, and this is on your outline. There's some points there that you can fill in the missing words, etc. First of all, they're saying that Paul says that Christians are free from the Old Testament food laws. Is that right or wrong? They got that one right. Secondly, they're saying food and sex, they're both just things which satisfy bodily appetites. They're basically the same. So the body is for sex and sex is for the body. What do you think about that? Thumbs down. <laughs> and thirdly, uh, the body doesn't matter anyway. I mean, God will destroy it. Uh, it's only the spirit that counts. So what you do with your body doesn't really matter. That's Greek philosophy being fused with Christian thinking. And it's wrong. They are very wrong about their bodies, about the human body. Let's have a look at verse 13b and verse 14. So second part of verse 13. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. See, Paul's invented a slogan of his own, hasn't he? You know, they're saying food for the body, the body for food. Well, Paul's saying no. Uh, the body's for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Now, as we work through this passage over the next couple of weeks, we're going to explore practical issues, practical areas where we can actually you know, be more pure and how we can avoid immorality and so on. But unless we understand uh, who we are as 
human beings created by God and created in his image, any practical teaching is just going to be of very limited value. And so in talking about these last couple of verses, verse 13b and verse 14, let me say that our Western culture, uh, and it may surprise you, but our Western culture is still profoundly influenced by the, uh, the philosophy of the Greeks. Uh, it has lasted thousands of years. And it's on this issue of the human body and the human spirit. Um, many people today uh, still believe the Greek idea that the human body has got no real place in heaven. And what they think is that, uh, that in heaven, that's just about our spirits. Uh, our spirits just floating around in heaven. So they've separated the body from the spirit. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches the resurrection of our bodies. Uh, see, when Jesus was resurrected, was he just resurrected in spirit? No. It was a bodily resurrection. Is Jesus' body still in a tomb somewhere in Israel? No. He was resurrected in his body. The tomb is empty. And you see that in verse 14. This is Paul's point. He says... By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. And so in the same way that Jesus was bodily resurrected, so too you and I are bodily resurrected. Uh, one day when our Lord Jesus returns, every person who has died with faith in Christ Jesus will be raised bodily for their eternal uh, bodily heavenly inheritance. In heaven, you will have a body. I've got to tell you, it'll be a new body. Uh, it will be a better body. It will be a body that is not subject to decay and imperfection. But it'll be a human body. And what this means is that our bodies are incredibly valuable to God. Paul says, uh, and, and therefore, what we do with our bodies matters greatly. You see what the purpose of the human body is there? Uh, in verse 14, that Paul says that the body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And right, back, right down at the end of the section in chapter 6, verse 20, Therefore, honour God with your body. Um, God has given us bodies for a purpose, and that is that we serve God with our bodies. We honour God with our bodies. We do the will of God with our bodies. In fact, our bodies are so incredibly valuable that as we'll see when we get to verse 19, that God has made our bodies his home, that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, friends, brothers and sisters, the stories about sexual immorality that we, you know, that fill 
um, our newspapers every day and keep journalists, you know, making money for their bosses. They tell us a story about a world which has got it just so wrong about sex. But those stories we read in the newspapers, they are just the tip of the iceberg. And it is a huge iceberg. They are the sensational stories. Uh, they are the stories where even now present taboos have been crossed. They are the stories involving famous people, you know, entertainers, sportsmen, politicians and so on, people whom we all... But I've got to tell you this, the real stories are found in the lives of everyday people. Everyday people. People who have been swept along by a culture of sexuality which is very different to God's purpose. It's the story of people who have been very hurt, deeply hurt, by others. It's the story of those who've hurt them and who need forgiveness and restoration. It's the story of lives that, that are damaged, lives that are dehumanised by the abuse of this gift which God has given us. It's the story of people who are trapped, uh, trapped in patterns of, of thinking and of sexual behaviour which is bondage, not freedom, not freedom. And as we explore 1 Corinthians chapter 6 further and draw together the strands of teaching in the Bible, what we'll discover is a different story. We'll discover a story which makes wonderful and perfect sense of our human sexuality and our relationships in marriage and with each other. It's a story which tells of God's forgiveness. It's a story which tells the way forward, uh, which leads to a, true, a truly satisfying life of serving God and serving each other with our bodies. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of sex. We thank you, Father God, that uh, you've given us our bodies that we can serve you and serve one another. Now, Lord, we uh, confess that we live in a world which uh, is so confused. And we thank you that your word provides us with a compass that enables us to navigate our way through the complex maze of uh, sexual options that we are bombarded with um, day by day. And we pray, Father God, that um, as we consider this issue further, that uh, you would uh, change our minds and uh, purify our minds and our hearts and uh, grant that we would be people who uh, live lives that are pure and honour you and stand as a beacon of light to those who are in darkness. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.